Hello, and welcome back to the Miss Independent Show, where I teach you to become financially independent, enter the world of entrepreneurship, and go further in your career. I'm your host, Nika Farb. I'm an experienced investor, founder of multiple direct-to-consumer businesses, and have built a career in enterprise software sales. Before I hop into today's episode, I want to share a quick weekly update, as I usually do. We did a quick little pause on this season, but we are back with new episodes every Wednesday. I have a lot packed into the second half of the season. You're going to hear from some amazing founders. You're going to hear incredible stories of growth and learn from people's failures, which I always say is like the shortcut to success. So if you can't make your own failures, you can always learn from other people's mistakes. And I'm broadcasting live from Naples, Florida right now. My brother and I are on a bit of a sibling bonding trip. And honestly, that's one of the best parts of being financially independent is being able to treat the people around you, being able to make and enrich the lives of your, your friends and family. So I'm super grateful to be here. And I want to get into quick life updates. I mentioned I'm in Florida, but the past episode that I recorded, I was talking a bit about my destination wedding, how it's going, and the fact that it's been a heck of a ride, to say the least. I'm coming back in a couple weeks, and I have my bachelorette just a week away from that. So it's about a month away now, and I'm doing it in Joshua Tree, which I'm super excited for because I've never been to the Mojave Desert, and I'm going to share my itinerary with you guys. Make sure you're following along on TikTok, at Nika Farb, or Instagram, at Miss Independent, if you want to join in on the action. So I'm going to be sharing day-to-day and everything that we're getting up to. And I've been, I've been on bridal TikTok for a while now. The algorithm clearly knows its direct audience. And I've been seeing how much people spend on outfits for this one weekend of their lives. And it's so crazy to me. And I have a couple of different events, a couple of different vibes that we're going for. High level, just to give you guys an overview of what we're doing. We're flying into Vegas and then we're road tripping to Joshua Tree, which is in California. And the general aesthetic, general vibe for the trip is Coastal Cowgirl. And if you haven't seen that or you have no idea what I'm talking about, it is the trend for the summer. It's kind of funny because typically I hate trends, but I'm loving the cowboy boots, light jeans, neutral, straw cowboy hat kind of look. And I think it's both practical and stylish for what we're going for. So that's the general aesthetic. And then we're doing a retro 70s pool party. Think Versace in the 70s for the theme. Feathers, sparkles, funky bathing suits, round glasses, that kind of vibe. And then we have one night out in Vegas where I've set the theme to be Bratz dolls. And it's because I was obsessed, obsessed with Bratz as a little kid. So I can't wait to see it all come together. And if you guys are thinking like what, what kind of theme is Bratz, it's kind of like a Y2K bright colors, short skirts kind of vibe. So I'm excited to see it all come to life and this vision, you know, be a reality. And you guys know I'm a very extra person. I'm absolutely not a minimalist. Like, I like to go full out. That being said, when I look at this trip and all these different outfits and themes that we're going for, I want to share some budgeting and planning tips for anyone that's been to a bachelorette, has a bachelorette, maybe has their own bachelorette coming up this year. All these outfits, all these requirements that I've put on my bridesmaids sound kind of selfish, especially because I am doing a destination wedding. So, One thing that I've been doing is I've been trying to communicate with all the girls about costs as often as I can, check in with them, see what's feasible, see what's budget friendly. And we are flying out with a discount airline. We're flying Swoop. That helps keep the costs, the overall costs relatively low. 
I'm contributing to a large portion of the Airbnb, so I'm covering the cost of, of housing for us or a substantial amount. I'm covering the cost of some of our activities as well. So we're doing a sunset sound bowl meditation session, which is so up my alley. And I'm going to cover the cost of meals and groceries when we're there. So that will definitely help out and make it a bit more budget friendly because I am doing a destination wedding. So my guests are going to be contributing and paying for, for their own flights and trips there. And to also tack on a bachelorette that's very expensive is something that I didn't necessarily want to do. So I want to make it accessible for everybody. And that's what I'm doing to make it more affordable, contributing where I can, but I know it's not necessarily possible for everybody. In which case, maybe planning a local trip or somewhere where you don't have to fly as far could be a better option. Something that I completely don't agree with is when people think that the bride shouldn't have to pay for her own bachelorette and that the other girls should subsidize the cost. I don't agree with this at all. And maybe I should do a whole other episode on bachelorette trips after to elaborate and share actual costs with you guys and I'll probably do that after the trip when I have more of a concrete understanding but either way without going on too much of a tangent what I wanted to talk to you guys about briefly here is where you can actually save on outfits so I talked about all of these themes all these aesthetics that I'm going for and when I was looking for my own outfits my own inspiration first place that I started was I started shopping on Revolve and Revolve is a trap guys everything on there is beautiful but it's a trap because it is so not budget friendly. And especially when you're buying like multiple pieces, multiple different outfits, you find some incredibly beautiful things on there. Some good things too, but mainly what I used Revolve for was inspo. And you can actually look up keywords. Their SEO, search engine optimization, is fantastic. So you can type something in like sparkly into the search bar and it creates a list of all of the sparkly things that they sell. And then you can filter by price too. So that's another hack. But after I quickly realized that Revolve was not going to be sustainable for all of my shopping, I moved on to some mid-tier brands. So a couple great ones to look at if you're looking for outfits. Opali, Princess Polly, and Meshki. These are all brands that run Instagram ads. And it's, it's great if you're looking for, you know, bachelorette outfits if you're a guest. If you're a bride, a lot of the dresses, a lot of the outfits that are on there, I've personally seen before. And, you know, I like to stand out. I feel like some of them are a little bit overdone if you're looking for white dresses. I spent so much time filtering through just white and sparkles as, you know, filters on on websites when I was doing shopping. So a lot of the the more popular stuff you're going to see on TikTok and I think it's a little bit overdone. But if you're a guest, fantastic places to shop. So what I was doing was I was using Revolve for inspiration and then I would go to Etsy and I would try to find unique pieces that are handmade by local designers, and you're essentially supporting small businesses there. And you're getting beautiful pieces for substantially less. So Etsy is a big hack. And I would definitely recommend shopping on there for unique pieces. I got some white cowboy boots on there for $60, and they're vintage, leather, handmade, $60. Fantastic deal. I also got this macrame pool cover-up, and it's a top and bottom set, handmade also for around $60, which is unheard of. Because on Revolve, these were going for like two, $300 just for half of the outfit, like just top or bottom, which is so crazy. So don't sleep on Etsy, guys. That is the tip. But also, I, I found this really, really gorgeous jacket on Etsy and it had feathers and sequins, such a statement piece. Fantastic if you're a bride or if you're getting something for a bachelorette. But the problem 
was that it was $400 before shipping and taxes. So I was like, no, we're not doing that. That's not budget friendly. So I had this for inspiration. And then I went to a fabric store and I bought a bunch of feathers, tool, all these different materials. And I decided I'm going to sew it myself. So all in raw materials cost me about 60 bucks. And my mom has a sewing machine. So I'm going to recruit her for help. <clears throat> AKA get some free labor there. So we'll see how it turns out and I'll, I'll obviously share with you guys on my stories and maybe I'll post something on TikTok as well so you guys can see the finished product. When it comes to Etsy or making outfits, not only are you going to look unique and not like every other girl on a bachelorette trip, especially the ones in Miami, Scottsdale, Nashville, like you guys have seen the ones, you, you know what I'm talking about. Not only are you not going to look like everybody else, but you're also going to save yourself a ton of cash which you can then use to invest and put towards buying a home. So I went on a bit of a tangent there, but I wanted to give you guys an update. And that is my segue into today's episode, which is on home ownership in Canada. And I'm going to be breaking down the first home savings account or the FHSA. There's going to be a few acronyms in this episode, guys. So just I'm going to preface. The FHSA is the main one that I'm going to be talking about, and I'll explain what it is. The other two acronyms, the TFSA, Tax-Free Savings Account, or RRSP, Registered Retirement Savings Plan, I'm going to be talking about all of these accounts in detail. And I want to preface as well. I mentioned we're talking about home ownership in Canada. We've got listeners now from all over the world, which is incredible, guys. Majority of you are in Canada or the United States, but we've got people from Indonesia, Nigeria, Germany, Spain, the UK, Australia, Netherlands, Italy, Costa Rica, Botswana, Colombia, and Cyprus, to name a few. So we've literally hit every single continent except Antarctica, which is super cool. Because when I first started the Independent Show, never in a million years did I think I'd have listeners from all over the world tune in on a weekly basis. So I appreciate all you guys, wherever you're listening from. And it, it would mean the world to me if you guys could leave me a review wherever you get your podcasts from. Just helps more people find the show. It helps more people connect. And maybe some of these episodes will help somebody's life. So I appreciate all of you guys. But I do want to preface today's episode is going to be a little bit more Canada specific. And the reason why is there is an incredible new tool that was created for Canadians by the Liberal government to help young people save for home ownership. And while I deeply appreciate all of you guys, unless you're currently a tax resident of Canada, you're not going to be able to take advantage of this account. So you may want to skip this one. That being said, I want to introduce you guys to the FHSA. And it's a new account which lets you save up to $40,000 to put towards your first home. So it's called a first home savings account, but similar to the TFSA, your regular old tax-free savings account. These are investing accounts. They are meant for saving, but you are investing the funds within these accounts. So the titles are a little misleading. And the FHSA is available or was available as of April 1st, 2023. You have to be at least 18 years of age to open one. And if you're eligible, I'll talk about all the criteria in detail. You can contribute $8,000 a year to this account. Here's the catch though. You have to use the funds within 15 years of opening the FHSA or before you turn 71, whichever, whichever is earlier. Otherwise, the account has to be closed. And this account is like 
the RSP and the TFSA, imagine both of those two accounts had a baby. That's exactly what this account is. And I'll, I'll explain the differences between the three of them in detail towards the later half of this episode. But I want to preface and tell you why you should be opening one of these if you're looking to buy a house. First, you may already have an RSP and maybe you already have a TFSA. But the main benefit of opening a FHSA, in addition to having both of the other two accounts I talked about, is it lets your investments grow tax-free. And that means more of your hard-earned money going towards a down payment on your first home instead of taxes. So who is actually eligible? I mentioned you have to be 18 years of age. You also need to be a resident of Canada. And you or your spouse can't own a home in which you've lived in at any point in the last four years. So it really is meant for first-time homebuyers. If you hit those three requirements, if you're 18 or older, haven't bought real estate, are a resident of Canada, you're going to qualify. If you're trying to buy a second home or third home, any more real estate as a previous homeowner, this isn't for you. Caveat here is that if you bought a house in, say, 2015, and then you sold it in 2018, and you've been renting or living with your parents or your spouse's parents, you'd be considered a first-time homebuyer again. So if you sold it more than four years ago, you'd qualify and you're considered a first-time homebuyer again. That being said, I want to get into some of the differences now between this unique account, the FHSA, and the TFSA or the RRSP. And I mentioned it's like the TFSA and the RRSP had a baby. This is kind of like the best of both worlds. It's the best of both of those accounts in one. So like your TFSA, there's a contribution limit. I mentioned 8000 per year, but it's 8000 per year until you hit the $40,000 mark. So it would take you exactly five years if you're maxing out and hitting that $8,000 limit every year. Keep in mind, the money that you put in this account is going to compound and grow tax-free. And it's invested, so you're also making returns on that money. That's the biggest benefit. You're not just putting money into a savings account. You're putting it into an investment account. And we'll talk about what you can invest it into. But that money is growing while you're contributing more to it. And that money grows tax-free. So when you pull it out, you've made all of this income from your investing. And you can pull out and take advantage of those gains tax-free. Unlike the TFSA, though, you can't use this money for anything. You have to use it for a home purchase. And any withdrawal that you make that's not related to buying a home or a condo, basically buying real estate, it's called the first home savings account, but you can use it for a condo. Any, any withdrawal that you make that's not related to buying real estate, specifically like ownership of real estate, not a REIT, for example, any money that you take out is not going to meet the criteria of a qualifying withdrawal and it will be taxed. And the government does have ways of validating this. So I know what you're thinking. That's the FSA. But what about the RSP? Because in previous episodes, I've talked about how you can withdraw part of your RSP, your registered retirement savings plan, towards a new home or condo. And the RSP is meant to be a retirement account. But it, it does have a program that allows you to withdraw up to $35,000 towards a new home tax-free. The catch is that you have to pay that money back within 15 years. So that's where the FHSA and the RSP are different. The FHSA, any money that you put in, let's say you max out you, you max out the contribution, you put $40,000 into that account over five years, you pull that out, you don't have to pay that money back. 
Whereas if you take advantage of the first time homebuyers program, you have to put those funds back into your RSP within 15 years. The other really important thing to note is that FHSA contributions similar to the RSP are going to be tax deductible, which means if you max out your contributions, you put $8,000 in this year, let's say, you're going to effectively reduce your tax burden and you might get a larger refund or when you file your taxes, you might owe a smaller amount. So it's going to affect your tax refund. Now, if you don't use your first home savings account to buy a home and you want to transfer the funds to your RSP, you can do that within 15 years of opening the FHSA account or when you, when you have to close the account. Like let's say you hit 71, like I mentioned. If you are transferring money from an FHSA over to an RSP, the RSP account has certain contribution limits as well. All of these tax advantage accounts have contribution limits. You can check the CRA website to see what your contribution limit is. But if you're transferring money from the FHSA into your RSP, that's not going to impact your RSP contribution room. Keep that in mind. On the flip side, if you decide you're not going to buy a home and you want to withdraw the funds from your FHSA, you can still do that, but the funds are going to be subject to any withholding taxes. So keep that in mind. You're basically losing the benefits of that tax-free savings account. Let's say you're planning to buy a home in the next few years and you don't have enough time to earn that max $40,000, right? I said it's going to take you five years exactly if you're maxing out those contributions. In that case, you could still use all of the savings that you have in that account plus any in investments there that have grown. So you withdraw and drain that account fully you can also combine that with some of the other tax proposals that the government has. So what I mean by tax proposals, the, the federal government announced that there is a first-time homebuyer's tax credit, which is actually going to increase to $10,000, and that gives you $1,500 in direct homebuyer support. Definitely look into that one. There's also the first-time homebuyer incentive, which lets people lower their monthly payments, and that's been extended until March 31st of 2025. So you can look into the first-time homebuyer incentive as well. And a big question that came up for me when I was researching and creating content about this account was thought about in the scenario where let's say you have $10,000 that you've saved and that's just sitting in a checking account and you want to put it towards an FHSA. You can carry forward up to $8,000 of your unused amount to later years. So in, the, in a different scenario, if you only used $5,000 this year, the following year you can contribute $11,000. So you'd be contributing $11,000 in 2024. But in the instance where you want to contribute more, you're going to be taxed on any additional contribution room. And I'll get into that in a sec. But because the account didn't come into effect until April 1st, doesn't mean you can't contribute the max of $8,000 in 2023. You still can. So $8,000 is the maximum you can contribute in this calendar year. And one thing to note that's really important is this account doesn't work like the RSP, where if you make a contribution in the first 60 days of the following calendar year, so if I was to make a contribution in January next year, that's going to count towards the following year. It's not going to count towards the previous year. Whereas the RSP, if you make a contribution the first 60 days of the following calendar year, it accounts for your previous tax year. It's a little complicated, but basically 
whatever calendar year it is, that's the contribution room that you have. So if you go over $8,000 in 2023, you have only $8,000 that you can put in in 2024. Whereas if you put in $5,000 in 2023, you can put in $11,000 in 2024. Another thing to note, you can have more than one FHSA. So let's say you have a couple different brokerages, one at, let's say, TD, one at Questrade. You can have more than one account, but the total that you contribute to both or however many you have can't exceed that $8,000 limit per year and $40,000 limit total. And in the case where you over-contribute, like if you have $10,000 saved and you contribute it, you're going to get taxed. And the tax is 1% to the highest amount of excess that existed that month. So don't over-contribute. Now I want to move into more of a critical question that you guys are going to have, which is what can I actually invest in? And what kind of investments can an FHSA hold? And it's similar to a regular TFSA. You open it through a brokerage like Quest Trade, like Wealthsimple. These guys are going to have robo-advisors. So they have AI and they use algorithms to invest your money for you based on your risk profile. You don't make any decisions outside of what your risk tolerance is. So if you want to be hands-off, those are fantastic options. If you want to be more active in your investing, you can get a self-directed account which is still an FHSA account that's going to have all these wonderful benefits, but you are deciding what you want to invest in. And you can invest in things like ETFs. You can invest in mutual funds, although you guys know my thoughts on mutual funds. Why get a mutual fund when you can get an index fund ETF that's going to have significantly lower fees? And you can invest in other publicly traded securities. You can invest in government and corporate bonds and GICs. If you're not using this money for five years and you've got a very short time horizon, I've talked about this in the past, if you're investing to buy a home, you want to keep as much of that income as possible. You want to be fairly low risk with those funds just because the market does fluctuate and you want to be able to pull out as much cash as you can when it comes time to actually putting down a down payment. Investing into lower risk products might be a better play. And that's something to think about. Everybody's risk tolerance is different. So assess your situation and make choices accordingly. Either you're going with a robo-advisor that's making decisions for you, or you're getting a self-directed account where you are choosing what you're investing in. But pretty much you can invest into all of those things, ETFs, mutual funds, any type of publicly traded security or stock. What you can't invest in, pretty much the same thing that you can't invest in in the other accounts, like within your RSP or your TFSA, you can't invest in anything that's at arm's length, like your parents' business or invest in assets like land, shares of private corporations, general partnership units. They're, they're very specific criteria. Most people aren't going to be using those accounts to make those kinds of investments anywhere or not thinking in those terms. You're probably thinking in the traditional sense, and you can use your FHSA to buy stocks, bonds, all the basic stuff that you're buying in your other accounts. How you actually contribute to the account it's going to be the same way that you contribute to an RSP or a TFSA. Each brokerage is a little bit different in how you actually deposit money into the account. You can set up automatic deposits. Ultimately, it's fairly simple. Depending on the brokerage, it's going to be a little bit of a different process, but it works the same way as investing into other accounts. When you open the account, it will ask you how you want to fund it, if it's well, simple or Quest Trade. If it's your bank, you're going to have to transfer funds from your bank if you have a checking account open with the same bank into that account. Or if it's with a different bank, 
you can always speak to a representative and ask how you can transfer funds. Either you are moving it around different accounts or you might be able to, in some cases, send an e-transfer. How you actually move money into that account is going to vary. I don't want to spend too much time on that. But if you're using an online brokerage, it's super simple. You can also move funds from your RRSP into your FHSA. Earlier on, I said you can move funds from your FHSA into your RSP and it won't affect your contribution room. In the other scenario where you're moving funds from your RSP to your FHSA, you can do it, but why would you want to? And the use case here is actually pretty clear. Why you would want to do that is in the case where maybe cash is tight, you're not going to have an extra $8,000 to put into an FHSA. If you move money from an RSP into an FHSA, you don't have to pay that money back within 15 years. And you can take it out tax-free. You're not paying taxes on it and you're just moving it from your RSP to your FHSA. It's not going to restore your RSP contribution room. So let's say you move $8,000 from your RSP to this new account. It's not going to restore that room within your RSP. So you're not going to get an extra $8,000 to contribute to your RSP. How you would get the absolute most out of this is in the scenario where, let's say you have $10,000 at the end of the year and you save that for buying a home and it's chilling in a savings account, which is the best place to have it. But let's say you're like, nah, I want to make money off of this money. I want my money to work for me for a couple of years and I don't want inflation to just eat away at it. So what you would do is you would contribute to your FHSA first. You would max out that contribution room. You would max it out at 8000 And then you put the other 2000 into your RSP. So in that case, you're still saving for retirement, but you're also saving towards your goal of owning a home and owning real estate. Understanding what your goals are from a financial lens is super important because if you aren't looking to buy a house, then this account and you probably just wasted half an hour listening to this episode. I mean, maybe you learned something new, but in that case, this account is not meant for you. This account is meant for people that are looking to own real estate at some point. And in that scenario, you'd want to max out FHSA contributions. If you're not looking to buy a house, then you would just focus on contributing and maxing out your TFSA contributions first and then focusing on your RSP. Got it? I know that was a lot. I, I can also clarify. If you guys have any questions, you you know, you can always DM me on Instagram and I'm happy to answer. And maybe even do a segment and bring back the short Monday episodes. Wasn't getting too much traction on those, but if you guys want me to bring them back, shoot me a DM, let me know. One thing I want to note, if I go back to the, the FHSA and the RSPs, you can double dip. So when it comes time to actually using the money in those accounts, you can use the FHSA money first. So you take out the $40,000 from there, and let's be real, your down payment is probably going to be more than $40,000. If you're buying a home in Toronto, it's probably going to be closer to $100,000, especially because you're putting ideally 20% down so that you don't have to pay for any kind of extra insurance. And I've talked about that in the past. But you're taking out money from your FHSA first, and then you can take out money from the RSP. And the RSP has the First Time Home Buyers Program. So, with the First Time Home Buyers Program, you can take up to $35,000 out of your RSP 
but you have to pay it back within 15 years. Both withdrawals are going to be tax-free, so you're not paying tax on that money that you're taking out. But in the case that you're taking it out from the RSP, you have to put it back. And it's crazy because it's your own money, but the way that that account is structured is it's meant to be a retirement account. So the fact that the government created a brand new account for people that are looking to save for homeownership is incredible, and I highly recommend you take advantage of it. If you're looking to buy a house or a condo, just real estate in general in Canada, if you're above the age of 18, you need to have three accounts. You need to have an RSP to save for retirement. You automate your expenses here. So you automate money going into this account every month. You don't think about it. You contribute a little bit off every paycheck right before the money actually hits your checking account. And that way you don't even feel it. This way you're building, you're saving for retirement. You're not even thinking about it. And if you're looking to save for a house, you're investing money in your FHSA. This should be a standard for anybody that just graduated, has a job, and they're trying to build and buy a house. This is an amazing account to have. And the last one that you need is the TFSA. And this is the biggest hack because any gains that you make in this account don't get taxed. So let's say you have a self-directed TFSA, tax-free savings account and you bought $2,000 worth of Tesla in 2018. And that $2,000 of Tesla that you bought in 2018, hypothetically, is now worth $30,000. This is a one-off example. I'm using big numbers just so you can understand, because this can happen. It's not going to happen with every single stock that you buy, especially because stock picking is a tough thing to do. It's kind of like gambling, and you may not pick every winner, but let's say you bought Tesla a small amount, $2,000 in 2018, and now it's worth $30,000. That money, that growth is not going to get taxed. So if you decide you want to pull that money out of your TFSA and live off of it when you're 50, you can do that and you don't have to pay taxes on it. The RSP is different. The RSP is tax deferred, which means when you're at your peak income generating years, say you're making $150,000 at the height of your career, you're getting taxed and some of that income is getting taxed in a higher tax bracket. Whereas when you retire, you may only need $70,000 a year to live off of. So the RSP is going to defer your taxes from when you're making $150,000. First of all, you're lowering your tax burden because you're actually reducing your income. And you can talk to a tax advisor about how that works. But Essentially, when you are ready to retire and you're living off of only that $70,000 a year, you're getting taxed at the $70,000 marginal tax rate instead of at $150,000. And taxes in Canada are layered, so it's a bit more nuanced than that. When you're making more money, all of it isn't getting taxed at the same rate. It's getting taxed in layers. Maybe I'll do an episode on that in detail. But essentially, when you're making more money, it's beneficial to contribute to the RSP. And when you're retiring, the assumption is that you're going to be living off of less. And so you're, you're taking advantage of the tax benefits and that tax is getting deferred. Okay, long tangent there. You need three accounts. You need the TFSA, you need the RSP, and now you need the FHSA. Please, my Findependence, please, if you're looking to buy a home or condo, take advantage of this tool. It is an amazing way to help you work towards home ownership, if that's what you're after. And if you're not after it, keep using your TFSA. 
There is no shame in that. If you know that owning a home, owning real estate is not something that's for you, keep investing in your TFSA, max out your TFSA contributions every year. If you are saving for a home, the FHSA is going to help you get that dream home and work towards building and making your vision board happen so much sooner than you think. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, guys. I hope you learned something new and I hope you open up your FHSA accounts. Until next week.